are entering the Freedom Hut. The Bubba Wallace hoax exposed a big victory in court for General Flynn, tearing down Abraham Lincoln. Texas sets a troubling COVID-19 record. Twitter censors Trump and an Oregon County's mask mandate unmasked. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now... Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. An honor and a privilege to have you here with me. I just want to jump right into this. I knew it. And you know, you know that I knew it. You know that sure enough, this would happen. Now, I couldn't be, and if you listen to yesterday's show, my analysis with Matt Walsh, that came before, what we were talking about the show yesterday, that came before all the breaking news about this, before we were all told that sure enough, uh, Bubba Wallace was not the target of a hate crime, that Bubba Wallace is, is not somebody who should be held up as a hero of the civil rights movement because nothing happened at all. What was the truth of this alleged noose? It was a pull-down rope on a garage door, and it wasn't even a noose. It was a rope with a loop, but that's not the same thing as a noose, okay? We need to start at least being real here about what it is that we see in reality. Now, let's just take a step back. Why is it that I was putting out viral tweets the last two days? Why is it I was able to do this and just keep focusing on one thing? Okay, I can't prove that this is a hoax yet. So it wouldn't be right for me to say, because I didn't, we, we had no evidence. All we had is a highly unlikely allegation, right? Now, why would I say it's unlikely? It's unlikely because we had already had a number of noose hoaxes here in New York, out in Oakland, and just ridiculous ones. So we should have been on the, on the lookout for fake noose if you will. That should have been happening. And I was. So I saw this coming. You know, you listen to me. I I was saying, "Hmm, okay, no, no. I'm not going to say he's, meaning Bubba Wallace, is a liar because I can't prove it. And he he didn't even see the noose. So that's a whole other level here. Oh, you're going to be the guy that's the target of a hate crime and you don't even see what the hate crime is supposed to be? But then you're going to have people you know, the head of NASCAR and all these different drivers and ever oh, walking in solidarity and all the rest of it, my friends. How did we know that this was BS? How did we know that? Very straightforward. It's not that anybody was being unfair to Bubba Wallace or anything like that. No, no. There is no way that it's a credible story that there was no person who saw this. The FBI sent fifth. 15 agents, 15 agents to go investigate this. It is not in the least bit credible that the photo of the offending noose would not have been widely shared all over social media, would not have been part of the public record right away. Not credible. It's just simply not believable. In a similar fashion, 
It was not credible. Well, the entire Jussie Smollett story was not credible. And I want to let you know, I had blue checks coming at me. So I had other verified journos on the left that, oh, how could you not believe Jussie Smollett? How dare you? The same way they came at me when I said, yeah, the Kavanaugh accusers, they're lying. These are liars. Can we just speak honestly? Can we stop? Oh, we're all living in fear. No, no, please don't call me a mean word, libs. They want to do a lot more than that. Okay, I think we're finally figuring that out. If you're going to hide from the mean words of the libs, you're going to be hiding from everything forever. They're not going to stop. Certainly not with the way things are going right now. But what, what was the case here? What really happened? Someone told Bubba Wallace. This is the story that they saw a noose in his garage. It turns out that it's a garage door pull-down string that has been there since 2019 that many, many, many other people saw, walked under, walked, through, walked past, and did not think anything of it. Another noose hoax. Now, I just want to be clear, because you may be saying, well, Buck, why didn't, you clearly didn't believe it, but why wouldn't you say he's a liar? Up, 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 up. It's not worth taking that risk in this instance, because what if, for example, somebody had put up a noose as a kind of false flag, somebody who is all about Black Lives Matter movement and somebody who's, you know, putting up the black square on their Instagram and doing all these things. What if they did it to create the impression of racism existing within NASCAR? That and now, even though I would have been right in the sense that this isn't some white nationalist or neo-Nazi who's doing this. See, this is what ends up happening in these news hoaxes. I want to be very clear why I wasn't. I, I clearly knew that he was lying, but couldn't say that he was lying, could only say, where's the evidence? This is fishy. And go back and listen to the show yesterday. And remember, that was before all this came out. Where's the evidence? This is fishy because there was the possibility that someone might have planted a noose so that he would become a hero and a civil rights icon and, you know, on the cover of the Wheaties box and everything. Oh, look at what happened to Kaepernick, right? That he becomes a, 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 a figure who will be even more celebrated. Professors in colleges and universities have tried this. There was a famous case of a professor who was up for a not, not going to receive tenure and uh, um, all of a sudden found a noose. I believe it was a her found a noose on the back of her door. I think it was a Columbia University here. And oh, you're going to fire the professor who found it. Oh, no, but it served the purpose, right? Oh, this is a professor who faces racism. It, it was a hoax. She, she put it on her own door. So that was why I couldn't just say this is a lie because there was always the possibility. Well, there's the one in a million chance that this really was some Klansman who would take this opportunity to sneak into a NASCAR garage for this act of evil. It's a one in a million chance, but I can't prove that that would never happen. But there was a decent chance here that this was somebody who 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 wanted to create an opportunity to exploit for the benefit of Bubba Wallace. I had never heard of this guy before. Now I'm opening my show talking about him. And that then brings me to the next thing. So we were right. The lib media is full of morons and cowards because they were all, oh my gosh, Bubba Wallace, what's happening? And a lot of us were sitting. And there are some big names. Some big names on the right. I don't think I need to, I don't think I need to call them out here because... 
You can find them. Big names on the right. This is horrible. We need to find the perpetrators. Instead of saying, this would be bad if it happened, but can we have some evidence that it actually happened first? That was my position. That was the right one. Um, Nikki Haley got taken to task on Tucker Carlson show, but there were others. There were others who were like, see how much I care about equality and race issues, and I'm a conservative. Just douse myself in virtue signaling. Oh, I'm amazing. I will chase the perpetrators of this deed to the ends of the earth. The deed that didn't happen. This was a rope that was very obvious what the purpose of it, uh, what the purpose of it was. Anybody who was being serious would know this. But guess what? They have fallen back on the defense that I knew they would. Uh, This is still a noose because Bubba Wallace is out there saying that it's a noose. The FBI has said no noose, no hate crime. But Bubba Wallace is saying, oh, no, it still is. And how dare people challenge my integrity and you know, blah, blah, blah. Play, play clip one. I've, uh, I've been racing all my life. I've, we've, we've raced out of hundreds of garages that um, never had garage pools like that. So people that want to call it a garage pool and put out old videos and photos of, of, of knots being um, in, uh, in, in, in their, as their evidence. Go ahead. But from the evidence that we have, um, that I have, uh, it's a straight up noose. The FBI has stated it was a noose over and over again. NASCAR leadership has stated that it was a noose. I can confirm that. I actually got evidence of what was hanging in my garage over my car around my picker guys to confirm that it was a noose and never seen anything like it. This guy's a fraud and an idiot. It's not a noose, buddy. Nice try. It's not a noose. It actually isn't even technically, physically speaking, a noose. There's a very specific, a noose is supposed to have a certain effect You wouldn't set up a noose for a garage pole because it would be squeezing and hurting your hand every time you used it. It's not a noose. And I don't even care. I mean, the FBI, they're a bunch of, there are idiots all over the FBI, too. They just know this isn't a hate crime because it was there before the guy even was in the garage and nobody else thought it was a noose. But this is the same FBI that was like, we can't tell you whether... Omar Mateen at the Pulse nightclub is actually a jihadist. He's like, yeah, hi, I'm on the phone. I'm a jihadist, and I'm doing this for, uh, for ISIS and Allah. FBI is like, whoa, whoa, we don't know what this guy's doing. So there's a lot of, a lot of stupidity. Yeah, the, same, the James Comey, formerly run by James Comey, FBI. Yeah, no, don't, don't expect them to be uh, spot on with this whole thing. But Bubba Wallace, here's the truth of this, and get ready for it. Despite the idiocy of this whole affair, which was completely predictable and has happened exactly as I thought it would, despite that, he is going to dig in and claim that this that it is a noose, even if no one thought it was a noose until all of a sudden he walks by it and says it's I mean, it's like this is now this is the the theater of the absurd. This is crazy town. But he's going to stay with that. That's his story. He's going to stick to it. Don Lemon was talking to him last night. Oh, yes, Don Lemon. Let's have a serious conversation with one of the, he's not the dumbest person on TV. That's actually I disagree with Trump on that. There are dumber. There are dumber people on television. Uh, Steve Schmidt, who ran the McCain campaign. Yeah, I'm Steve Schmidt. I was like really good at politics and I'm on. Earth. 
he might he might be the the dumbest person. Anna Navarro on uh, CNN also very very dumb. So there's a number of people who are right up there. But let's get back to the the case at hand, shall we? Um, Bubba Wallace is now, and I want you to sit down as you hear this if you're not already. Bubba Wallace is a more marketable, better known brand as a result of this. Yes, I'm here to tell you the truth. That's right. Not only will he not face any real sanction because of this going along with this ridiculous hoax, not only will there be no punishment of him in any way. In fact, now, even though it was a fake news hoax, even though that's what happened, the way that this will play out going forward will be as if it was real. Oh, anybody, if, if Bubba Wallace has a bad record at the track, a bad track record, I guess you could say, um, you know, if he starts losing races and he's not and, and he's not getting the same sponsorships and level, it'll be just like Kaepernick, who was on the downslope of his career, had had a bad season and was a pain to the owners, was a pain to the people running the NFL and the teams, although that's all now shifted. Um, with all that going on, this is where we are. He's now a hero, more powerful, more, you know, than he's ever been before. That's what's going on here. That's what's happening. Same thing is true for Bubba Wallace. Same thing. He is going to become a bigger name, make more money and be essentially not unfireable, but there'll always be this special treatment that he'll re- receive, even though this was all a lie. Get ready for that. Get ready for it. And anyone, you know, anytime anyone says anything about Bubba Wallace, it's going to be, whoa, hold on a second. You're being a little racist about Bubba Wallace right now, criticizing his, uh, his driving today at the track? Oh, hold that, that, that is how this works. Even though it's fake, he has now become a part of that movement and has been the target people in their minds will think he was targeted with this racism even though he wasn't doesn't matter does not matter will this change the narrative of the left will they all of a sudden say hold on a second why if racism is so bad in this country do we have to keep having these uh keep having these instances that are fake why do we, you know, we have to keep having instances that are fake given what we're, I mean, this keeps happening. If there was as much racism as they tell us, wouldn't there be bigger cases about these hate crimes that were real? Think of a, think of a big hate crime case where it just involved in, an inanimate object, right? So uh, a, a symbol of some kind, a rope somewhere, and you think, uh, these, these are, there are a lot of fakes. Why, why does this keep happening? Because people are so incentivized and, and have convinced themselves, so brainwashed in this narrative of the deeply racist and, and rotten to the core with racism America, that even if they have to fabricate the evidence for that perception, they will do it and feel righteous as they do it because they know it is true even if the evidence isn't there. That's where we are. 
It's uh, it's amazing, my friends. But this will be a uh, a career win for Bubba Wallace. I'm telling you. Uh, not in not in all ways. People are going to make fun of him a lot, and social media is going to say that he's you know he's a jackass and everything else. But um, that's where we are. That's where we are. People are gonna are gonna call him names, and they're gonna say he's a bad guy, and he's gonna be a more marketable, more valuable brand. That's it. That's how this plays out. That's how this happens. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The FBI identified it as a noose, a NASCAR uh, said it was a noose or went along with the FBI's characterization. It was a noose. So the question is, even if they did not know that Bubba Wallace was going to use that stall, why was a noose in the stall? It's clear what a noose represents. And I think to, to go whether or not they knew that sooner or later the one black driver would use that stall really doesn't answer why it was in the stall at all. And then did someone know that it was in the stall when they did belatedly assign Bubba there? So I don't think this answers a lot of questions. And clearly from what we just saw of Bubba Wallace, it does not seem he, who is the victim and possible target in this matter, seems to be satisfied with this. So I do not think that we've seen closure in this particular uh, inquiry. Oh, what a surprise. You mean Reverend Al is sticking by the, this was a noose, which is a hate crime, even if it wasn't put there with any intent. And, and I'm just going to say, anyone who says it's a noose is wrong, just on the facts, too. But we're, we're going to stay with this, going to stick with it. My friends, this is what you're really seeing here. The facts do not matter. They never matter in these cases. It's always about raising awareness no matter how fraudulent the actual facts may be or the actual storyline may be, it, it just does not matter, right? After each of these hoaxes, there's this effort to say, well, now we're having a conversation about systemic racism, so that must be a good thing. What about the rule of law? What about, you know, law enforcement resources being used here and, and just all of the the tension that is raised here, oh my gosh, the most prominent African-American driver in NASCAR has been the target of a hate crime. People believe that and will continue to believe that even though it's not true. And that hurts our unity. That exacerbates racial division. That's a bad thing for people to think something is true that is not, that makes them believe they're in a more racist country than they are. But this is where this is the situation, my friends. This is uh, the and the media. You'd think they could ask the most basic questions about this before. But no, no, no. Quite the opposite. Instead, they just go along with it all. They would rather be stupid than be playing for the other team here, which I would say is team facts. That's all. It's not about anything else. Team facts. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Some good news for General Flynn that I can share with all of you today, and also a very big piece of new evidence in the deep state plot to destroy Flynn that we have seen. So let, let me start with what you may have heard, and then we'll drill into the analysis and, and the why this matters so very much. Uh, the appeals court in D.C. that was hearing the request from the Flynn defense team for a writ of mandamus, meaning to shut this thing down, the appeals court said yes, the D.C. circuit court, the federal court, lower level federal court, was wrong. Judge Sullivan was wrong not to respect the DOJ request to drop. Well, the DOJ has dropped the charges. And with that, the expectation is the case would be dropped. Now, this is not complicated, right? That aspect of it, we should remember, is very straightforward. There is no prosecution arm of the United States government that wants the General Flynn prosecution to continue. But there are people in the deep state, there are Democrats, there are leftists, there are Trump haters who simply do not care. They don't care that Flynn has all this new information and evidence that has come to light that shows that he was set up, that this was political, that this was a hit. No, they plan to continue this prosecution, at least drag it out. Now, Sullivan, the judge in this case, has already shown himself in the past to be, Judge Emmett Sullivan, to be bizarrely anti-Flynn. He has shown that, you know, he said that Flynn was, he talked about Flynn being a traitor. No one said that Flynn's a traitor. I mean, this is just nuts. It's like he's out there reading a bunch of these left-wing opinion sites, you know, Salon.com and The Nation and these places, you know, a bunch of, bunch of uh, fake elitist commies running around pretending that they're revolutionaries standing up for justice and stuff. I mean, that's what you get on those sites that Judge Sullivan would take some of that and obviously internalize it in some way and think of General Flynn, who is a three-star uh, general, former national security advisor, decades, 30-plus years of service in the United States military. And he has been treated horribly this whole time. Horribly. What's going on here? I mean, this is a deep injustice. And now this is a very good thing, what happened today with the appeals court, but it's not done. I'm going to get into that in a moment. But I, I want to start with some of the how we got here so we can really understand what today's ruling means and what we should expect going forward. Uh, the the narrative that you often hear about this is that Flynn is getting special treatment. And I just want to say that that's true. General Flynn is getting special treatment Really bad special treatment. The fact that the Department of Justice dragged this thing out, that the Mueller team decided to use a criminal prosecution of him and the threat of a criminal prosecution of his son to force a guilty plea out of him. And can we just stop with all this garbage, this crap that you will constantly hear from libs? about how he pleaded guilty. If he pleaded guilty, he's guilty. Really? Do they say that about the so-called Central Park Five who admitted to roles in the heinous sexual assault years and years ago here in New York City on video with an adult relative present? 
Do they, do they say, oh, well, they admitted it? Uh, no, of course not. And they, and they took guilty pleas. Do, do they say, oh, well, they, they were, no, they say, well, that was forced on them, the wrong person, whatever, no. But now, all of a sudden, because it's General Flynn, a guilty plea is all that matters. Even when you find serious government misconduct, which has been found in this case, serious government misconduct. This was all done for political reasons. We know this. We understand this. But Flynn has been treated terribly by the system, a system that he served for a very long time honorably, honorably and with courage. It's disgusting what they've done to him. They've bankrupted this man. He has run up millions of dollars of legal bills. He has had his reputation ruined, threatened to put, and he knew that they weren't going after his son for something that was a, a legitimate criminal charge that would usually come up under the normal way that they approach Foreign Agent Registration Act, FARA regulations. No, it was, we're going to find a pretext to destroy your son because of you. So you do what we say or else. You plead guilty here or else we go after your son. And they hid exculpatory evidence. And they lied to the court about that evidence. The FBI agents who interviewed Flynn did not even initially believe. They did not believe that he had lied. It wasn't until Mueller came along, really Weissman, who was running that thing, who's now been trying to do, I think they stepped away from it because it looked so grotesque, Democrat fundraisers for Joe Biden. A Democrat fundraiser wannabe for Biden was running the Mueller probe, and we're supposed to think that this was on the up and up? That this wasn't a political hit? That there weren't clear incentives here to use this as a weapon against the Trump campaign, the Trump administration. How dumb do the libs think we all are? Well, I mean, I guess they just must think we're all really dumb. So that's what has happened here. It has been an egregious miscarriage of justice. And, you know, legal Twitter, which reference these people that go on NBC and ABC and, oh, I'm a former prosecutor, and let me tell you what's going on. These people are all idiots who... They're the ones who have been saying Flynn is guilty, Flynn should go away. They're wrong, okay? The court today, an appeals court today said that this needs to end. And how many people have you heard, oh, no, this trial shouldn't end, oh, it should keep going. The amicus brief that's been filed by John Gleason. This is Judge Sullivan abusing his discretion as a judge. The appeals court has already agreed with this. I mean, they slapped this down today. So this guy, Judge Sullivan, is bringing in some guy to wage a kind of shadow prosecution here. John Gleason is the shadow prosecutor against Flynn when the government that has the sole authority under Article 2 to engage in this prosecution, the government has been, uh, has been saying, what are you doing? We're, we're, not, we're done. This never, this never should have happened. Now this is what's going to happen. Um, and people were celebrating this today. And look, it's good. No, no mistake. This is a good day for Flynn. Sidney Powell should be, you know, really just doing backflips right now. She's done amazing work on this one. The legal establishment was, was so dismissive and snide about her efforts to revive the defense of General Flynn. I mean, she's a hero. She's a hero for justice. She's a hero for what is right in this country. 
now what does it mean this case what, what the decision that came down today i mean here i can actually tell you specifically the verbiage that has been used on this one the united states state uh, court of appeals for the district of columbia circuit this just came down upon consideration this is the order of the emergency petition for a writ of mandamus the responses thereto and the reply the briefs of amici curie in support of the parties and the arguments by counsel, it is ordered that Flynn's petition for a writ of mandamus be granted in part. The district court is directed to grant the government's Rule 48A motion to dismiss, and the district court's order appointing an amicus is hereby vacated as moot in accordance with the opinion of the court filed herein this date. So this is the appeals court saying, shut it down, shut it down. What? The blank are you doing, Judge Sullivan? That's what this is saying. Now, everyone's looking at this and saying, okay, well, the appeals court, the higher court than the one that Sullivan sits on, has said that the writ of mandamus to end this prosecution should be granted. Guess what? Now it goes down to the inferior court, and maybe Sullivan decides that he's still going to have this hearing. Maybe Sullivan wants to continue with this charade. And that could happen. You know what I think is even more likely to happen? You have a whole bunch of Obama-appointed judges sitting on this appeals court. They could go for what's called an on-bank review, which means that all of the judges will take up this issue now. The whole, the whole, the, you know, th- this was a three-panel, uh, this is a three-panel of judges, three-person panel, And it could go to the full, all of the judges that sit on this D.C. circuit. They might look at this and come up with, and guess what? I would not. And they can just decide to do that. I would not be surprised if that happens. And I would not be surprised if then they reverse the initial appeals court decision, which would force a Supreme Court showdown for this issue. Think about what lengths lengths the deep state Trump hating Democrats are going to here over over a an alleged lie to the FBI that they didn't even think was a lie where nothing really happened and nobody would you know what are we even talking about this happened in 2017 they've been dragging this out to this point is Flynn even going to face a criminal sentencing well what are the people that think this should go on really hoping for here but you see it's all politics Flynn was the person that they pointed to at the beginning to say, see, Trump has criminals around him. The Trump campaign is a criminal enterprise. See, we got one. That was why it was so important that they destroy Flynn. And if the Flynn prosecution falls apart, it makes them vulnerable. People will start to intelligent people who aren't completely brainwashed libs will ask questions. Where else were they perhaps Uh, playing outside the rules here a bit. Where else in this whole process was there abuse for political reasons, which is what we've been seeing, which is what we know. And then that brings me to the latest evidence today. Here's something you got to remember. Don't let them obscure this or play games with this. Obama as president, Biden as vice president were in the room when this ambush of Flynn was being ordered. That's right. The outgoing administration, the top level 
orchestrated and ordered this to happen. Go after the incoming national security advisor with whatever you can. This is stunning. It's an outrage. It's the biggest political scandal of my lifetime. And I think stretching back much further than that. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. So how do we know that what I have said here is true? How do we know that Obama and Biden were fully aware of what's going on here, fully aware of the uh, attempt to destroy General Flynn? They were in the room in the Oval Office when it happened. People say I say room. I say room funny. I guess I do say it kind of room. I say kind of like room. We're in the room where it happened. Oh, no, I just gave an accidental plug to the garbage Bolton book that's out there right now. But we have just just released to the Flynn defense. I thought this was very, very interesting. The following, which uh, everyone should be paying some attention to. Uh, And this is courtesy of my friend Sean Davis over at The Federalist. Handwritten notes from Peter Strzok disclosed by DOJ in federal court yesterday show that the operation against Michael Flynn was ordered by President Barack Obama and Vice President Joe Biden in the Oval Office on January 5th, 2017. Now, I looked at this, and I've got to say, I do not have particularly good handwriting at all. I kind of look like what most people, I think, how they would write in the third or fourth grade. Like, I just don't have good handwriting. And people make fun of it. That's fine. My handwriting, however, is legible. This handwriting on this note, which is now an important piece of evidence, is almost uh, almost impossible to decipher unless you really dig into it. But I found the transcription, the best one that we have so far. And here's what it says. Um, uh, Vice President says, Logan, and then, these are notes. This is not a transcript. These are notes in the conversation taken by an FBI agent. VP, Vice President, Logan Act, President, These are unusual times. Vice President, I've been on the Intel Committee for 10 years, and I never. President, make sure you look at things, have the right people on it. President, is there anything I shouldn't be telling transition team? And then uh, the deputy here, uh, I think FBI deputy, it says D, Flynn Kizilyak calls, but appear legit. They were talking about this in January, during the transition, in the Oval Office, before the FBI went over and had their little sit-down chit-chat. This was a setup. Obama, his team, they knew it. This, my friends, is, it's hard to put into words, and I put things into words for a living, hard to put into words what an outrage this is. What a disgrace. Obama and his bitter Democrats all around him and Comey, Sanctacomey. Think of what we've learned about these people. Think of who was sitting in the room at the time. Obama and Biden and Comey and, uh, you know, that they would have this kind of conversation about the incoming 
national security advisor. And out of just sheer spite, that's what this was, spite that their side, the Democrats and the deep state, that their side, the permanent bureaucracy, the ruling class from within the government, they lost to Trump. And they wanted to take a a shot at this administration. And it wasn't a small shot. Take out the incoming national security advisor and see, you know, convince people that the Trump team are a bunch of traitors and criminals. Just hobble the Trump team from the beginning. Just hurt them as much as you can. That's that was during what should what should be the sacred transfer, peaceful transfer of power. That's what happened here. Now, Democrats can try to deny it and dismiss it and all the other things. This is the reality of the evidence before us. The Obama team, Obama himself, was in on this. This was the beginning of the soft coup. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our founding fathers are being roped to the ground like they were Saddam Hussein. It's no surprise that people who want to say our country is intrinsically evil are so frantic to erase history that they'll break the law to do it. Erasing history is the only way their claims could carry any water. Americans know that an imperfect nation built by imperfect heroes is still the most perfect union the world has ever seen. Mitch McConnell gets it. He understands It's important, I think, for us to speak out very clearly and take action based upon what the mob is up to right now. And this is just stunning. Okay, this is just stunning because they're going after statues now that no no person even on the left could explain. They're destroying statues dedicated to women's suffrage. They're destroying statues dedicated to Lincoln freeing the slaves. That's the latest one they want to take down. Here you have, uh, this was, I mean, unbelievable. Washington, D.C.'s congressional delegate Eleanor Holmes Norton, according to Fox News, said that she will introduce legislation to remove a problematic statue of Abraham Lincoln from D.C.'s Lincoln Park on Capitol Hill. Holmes Norton cited the statue's problematic depiction of the fight to achieve emancipation as grounds for its removal. The statue shows Lincoln standing over a shackled slave holding the Emancipation Proclamation. Quote, although formerly enslaved Americans paid for the statue to be built in 1876, the design and sculpting process was done without their input, and it shows... The statue fails to note in any way how enslaved African-Americans pushed for their own emancipation. Holmes Norton claimed the former slaves who funded the statue were only recently liberated and grateful for any recognition. That's right, folks. Here we are. Abraham Lincoln statues are now being not just attacked by the mob, but the officials in charge, politicians, People that work as in the bureaucracies, the officials who are in charge are trying to get them trying to get them removed. You know, just okay, fine. Let, let's go through the process and get rid of this. You look at this statue and you think, well, hold on, hold on a second. Shouldn't it be very isn't it very noteworthy, as she mentioned here, that this statue was paid for? The initial statue was paid for with funds raised 
by emancipated slaves. That is a very powerful backstory to all this, isn't it? And yesterday there were there was a crowd gathered around this statue and they were just they were, you know, shouting about how it has to be taken down and they're all excited with themselves. This statue is so racist, I suppose, um, that Frederick Douglass, one of the great heroes and someone who I think should be further elevated, even than he already is in the public sphere, one of the great heroes of the American struggle for freedom, Frederick Douglass spoke, spoke at the dedication of this statue. So you've got a statue of Lincoln paid for by by freed slaves dedicated by one of the great intellectuals, one of the great heroes of American freedom of all time, Frederick Douglass. And now some D.C., you know, so some D.C. politician and this mob, and they want to tear this down because it doesn't doesn't uh, comport with their view of how statues should depict events like this. Or it's not even an event it depict this. Uh, this idea of Lincoln freeing the slaves. There was a, a another statue that was destroyed up in Wisconsin, of or it was defaced, destroyed, defaced, of, of somebody who was a staunch abolitionist and fought and died for the Union. It is not even enough now. This mob of leftist Marxist. You know, Robespierre wannabes. At least Robespierre, bad guy, but say what you will, but he knew his history. They don't even care if you died, if you fought and died to end the practice of slavery, you still might get canceled. You still might get canceled. What what greater act could one take than to fight on the side of the army to end slavery. You know, I, I just, I sit here, I say, uh, how is this even, uh, what world are we living in where this is, in, well, what America, more, much more importantly, what America are we living in where we even have to have these kinds of, of fights? We have to have these, these debates and discussions. And, and by the way, it's not even really meant to be a debate or a discussion. This is meant to be do what we say or else. Do what we say or else we will tear. You know, you can either remove it because the politicians in charge have been pressured or we'll remove it for you. We will put ropes around it and pull it down. Uh, and McConnell was right when he said that the founding fathers are being torn to the ground like they're Saddam Hussein. Uh, I would say they're being torn to the ground like statues of Lenin, but we all know these left wing, they're Democrats, Democrat idiots. They wouldn't pull a statue of Lenin down. Lenin's cool. Lenin's, you know, got some good ideas. Got some great stuff going on here. And uh, just see how this is, this, uh, this hysteria and this absurdity has spread all across, all across the country. And de- the Democrat Party is on board with this. They're behind this. They support this. 
Uh, here, for example, is uh, clip six, producer Brandon. Here is the dumbest mayor in the country, or the worst. I shouldn't say the dumbest. There's dumber. But the worst mayor in the country, Bill de Blasio of New York City, talking about the, the Teddy Roosevelt statue that's supposed to come down from outside the Museum of Natural History, a place I know very well from being in it more times than I can remember. Here is, uh, here's de Blasio, really as public art critic, weighing in. Play clip six. Have you ever stood and taken a look at the Theodore Roosevelt statue out in front uh, on Central Park West there? And if so, what went through your mind and what do you, how do you feel about its removal? Yeah, I have looked at it, Rich, and I think um, Roosevelt himself is a, a, another one of these complex figures in American history. He did some extraordinarily progressive things that we feel to this day, and he did some things that I think are deeply troubling. But I think there's a separate question between him, the person, and the actual statue. The statue has representations that are clearly do not uh, represent today's values. Uh, the statue clearly you know, presents a white man as superior to people of color. And that's just not acceptable in this day and age. And it never should have been acceptable. So I know the museum feels it's best to take it down. I support that decision. I think you know they, they felt that's what was right for them as a museum and i understand why they're doing it and i respect it clearly superior he says this is the de blasio quote that it depicts a white man as clearly superior or clearly presents rather a white man as superior to people of color i i, I don't see that in this i see teddy roosevelt who is one of the one of the most certainly impactful not a word i particularly like to use but one of the most uh, you know, who has one of the most enduring legacies of any president in this country and was a fascinating guy who did a lot of stuff and uh, had many, many great ideas and was a, an important and powerful political figure in the, in the history of this country. He's on horseback because he's Teddy Roosevelt. You know, that's they're 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 creating it's it's the perception that de Blasio brings to this of, oh, there, there's a racial angle to this. Uh, because de Blasio says so. It's Teddy Roosevelt. And then with, uh, from what I understand, a Native American that is just meant to represent Native Americans in general and an African-American that's meant to represent African-Americans. I, I don't see this debasement, clearly. I mean, th this, this uh, effort to show a racial disparity. I mean, yeah, there's Teddy Roosevelt who's on, a hor on horseback. But this statue has been out there for almost 100 years. And just now we're deciding that it, that it shows this, uh, this dynamic. Does anyone even think to look back at, I don't know if there's any you know, notes from the sculptor of the time or anything. Were they trying to show a disparity? Now, let me tell you what I, you know, I, I might have mentioned this before. You know, we're getting to this point now where the same in the same society. And look, I'm not saying that, it, that it's impossible that that is depicted in that, that in a way that some people could reasonably have objections to. I'm just saying Bill de Blasio was making an this is an artistic criticism. OK, this he's now criticizing this as a piece of art because of what he thinks it symbolizes. Um, it was I, I, I never saw this and thought, wow, that's debasing people of color or that's that's undermining or, or putting down people of color. And I've seen that statue countless times. So I, I'm just not seeing what de Blasio is seeing here, as well as a whole lot of other people, obviously, a lot of other Democrats want to tear this thing down. But it reminds me of what I was told by 
a friend of mine who works in a very liberal government in a very liberal state and it works for a very liberal uh you know government apparatus in a very liberal state and there was a a message sent around of and it was for well i'm trying to make sure see i'm just trying to make sure i'm, pro- I'm protecting my source adequately here i'm not gonna i can't tell you what state it was i can't tell you what what government what kind of government uh body it was but it was a take your kids to work day poster announcement, essentially, that was sent out to people uh, and, w- and was presented. And it was a th- it was three kids who one had one had a phone, one was taking notes and the other was a little girl, I believe. Well, again, I don't want to get into the details. It was a little girl. I believe it was Asian was kind of pointing at the two boys and they're like four year olds. It's supposed to be it was a stock photo. It wasn't it wasn't some photo. Someone it was a stock photo, you know, that people have. You can get them off Getty images or whatever. And this turned into an outrage because some people who saw this said, see, there's a there's a, a white five year old, a black five year old and an Asian girl, five year old, the two boys and a little girl. And the Asian girl is ordering the five year old uh, black child to take notes. It is it is a. An example, an example of uh, oppression and and racism. And I've, I saw, I actually saw this announcement. Okay, it was good. And I, I got to tell you, my mind was blown to think that there was racist intent in this. And I, again, I can't show it to you, otherwise I'd post it because I came from us. I don't want anyone to get in trouble. But I'm just like, people are seeing, you know, the people are seeing racism in cases where there is no racism, where there's no racist intent and it's not reasonable to say there's racism. This is happening all the time. Now, you know, if we're going to look at all these different works of art, that's really we're talking works of art and we're going to destroy them based upon a sensibility that has just come in vogue in the last couple of years or or the last couple of weeks. What are we going to be left with? You know, can't we just keep the Teddy Roosevelt statue and people can have debates and discussions? Hey, is this a is this a negative depiction of of, uh, you know, uh, Native Americans and African-Americans? And, you know, th- th- things were different in 1940 when this was put up. We've, you know, I'm not, you know, of course, dialogue, discussion. We're always told that we're supposed to have a dialogue and discussion, but that's not true. It's supposed to be a lecture. Go along with what the left tells you or else they plan on destroying you. But. Just remember, this uh, is not really about, this was never really about George Floyd. This was never really, this movement is never really about police reform. It is what I have been telling you from the beginning. This is a left-wing Democrat. Make sure we use the word. This is the Democrats, because I want them to have to own this situation. I want them to have to deal with the reality they're creating. This is the Democrat mobilization for the 2020 election. This is the Democrats make America miserable again campaign. That's what they're doing. Make America miserable again. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. We have become scapegoats in this. We as our federation, our federation board, myself, uh, and it's unjust. 
Um, the the people to since the fallout of the the Floyd death, the people to blame lies squarely on the shoulders of our. Uh, political leadership. You've also made very pointed comments about groups like Black Lives Matter, and you've actually referred to them as a terrorist organization. Do you believe Black Lives Matter is a terrorist organization? There are portions of it that certainly have participated in domestic terrorism, and, and look, not just in Minneapolis, but the other cities. And that's not them exclusively. There was Antifa there doing the same thing. So there are incidents where at Black Lives Matter, uh, events, certainly terrorist activity takes place. That was the Minneapolis Police Union Chief, Bob Kroll, who's saying exactly what all of us know is the truth about the cops being scapegoated, right? We know this, that all cops are not responsible uh, in Minneapolis or across the country for the actions of one or even uh, one plus the other cops involved in in the killing of George Floyd. But that's the way that this has been framed from the very beginning. This was taken as a, uh, a truth of all police because the police have, are, because the police are imperfect, because there are less than, in any given year, uh, what is it, le- less than 20, I think it was, the most number, recent number I saw, unarmed black men killed by police in America out of a country of 320 million people. Because... Uh, Of that, though, we have been put through, I mean, the country at a point where it's already on its heels. I mean, we have been through a very rough period here economically, psychologically, uh, as a nation, we've been put through because of this COVID-19 thing. And it's still going on. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. We have been put through hell on this. And now is when the left decides that we have to have the BLM marches and all this stuff. Now is when we have to have all the statues pulled down and destroyed and defund cops. This is when you think it's the time to start pulling away law enforcement resources. Any person in a position of authority who sees what's going on and says, yeah, what we need right now are fewer cops and demoralized cops is a fraud and a moron. They're a fraud because they're only saying this because they think they're safe wherever they are. They don't think it's going to affect them. You know where it's going to really be bad? Minority neighborhoods where there's a lot of crime. That's where reductions in police presence have the most negative and most immediate impact. Although it will spread to the entirety of a city. I mean, this was what happened in New York. I lived here when this was an unsafe, bad city to be in for a lot of reasons. And... That was finally changed after a Herculean effort by the NYPD and Rudy Giuliani and Commissioner Carrick and Ray Kelly. They changed the city. And then Bloomberg is a Democrat, but he actually did an okay job keeping it all going. But now you turn around, you look at this and say, we're going to forget all the lessons of the past. And we're going to pretend that these assessments being made by officials are driven by public safety when we know it's just politics and they're such cowards they don't want to be called racist or even just insufficiently obedient to the blm movement that's what they're scared of thanks for listening to the bus sex and show podcast remember to subscribe on apple podcast the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts i am sad 
maddened because this is a horrible precedent. And I hope I, I'll leave to Attorney General Barr to make the final decision. But as I stare at that, uh, this is the kind of thing that we've seen happen. I was a soldier once. You, you know that story. Um, I saw young soldiers who were prosecuted for releasing classified information at a much lower level and who were much more junior and who didn't have 30 years of experience handling classified information. Uh, this is something that has real criminal risks, risk associated with it. And uh, for the life of me, I can't figure out how it's the case that this can be permitted to stand without a real response. If this becomes the pattern and practice, this is truly damaging to American national security. So I know I got to get a copy of this Bolton memoir before uh, before they start trying to black lines of it out so that there's a removal of classified information here. I, I've got to find a way to uh, to see everything that's in this because it, it is really it is really hard to imagine what the heck Bolton was thinking when he decided he was going to publish this book without finishing the pre-publication process. I know that this sounds kind of like, meh, you know, his buck isn't really that big a deal. Yeah, it's not like he's trying to clear his book with a former employer because, you know, they're worried that he's going to share the formula for their super tasty muffins or something. This isn't about just some you know private sector corporate advantage stuff, although that could be bad enough from a legal perspective. He gets sued a lot. This is about national security. This is about secrets, classified information. And Bolton would think that he could get away with this. I, I, I don't it's it's amazing. But then again, how could I think it's impossible that one's ego could be that out of control when what we saw with James Comey was uh, was completely insane. He's former FBI director who takes home with him his notes from meetings with the president and then leaks those notes to someone who leaks them to the New York Times to get even with the president. I mean, it's like James Comey was uh, was one of the people sitting at the table in Mean Girls or something. You know, oh, we're going to gossip about what? It's the former FBI director. You know, one thing that has been a a major revelation of our time, and it's one that I want you to I want you to think about this always. I want this to be in the back of your mind. The people who are in some of the most powerful and most sensitive jobs in the United States government, many of them are complete and utter narcissistic morons. And it's true of Republican and Democrat administrations. But these are not impressive people, which is all the more reason why you should look at the decisions they make, the, uh, you know, the, the, the justifications that they give for their conduct with a lot of skepticism. That's one thing. I, I wish we had a press corps that did what the press corps today pretends to do, which is hold people to account for the truth and get information that we need to understand what's really going on. They don't really do that. They are activists. And as we saw with their inability, unwillingness to even ask about, say, the Bubba Wallace noose picture that wasn't even brought up. Uh, the, the press doesn't ask very, very basic and straightforward questions 
um, of leaders that they and people that are senior in the government that they like. They're always trying to protect them. You've seen this with Governor with Governor Cuomo as well. Governor Cuomo is able to get away with saying that it wasn't his fault. Uh, it wasn't his fault that there were so many thousands of, of seniors who died in New York State nursing home facilities. And the press goes, oh, OK, he's he's just blaming the federal government. No, no, no. Well, OK, ask the follow up question. Why? Why didn't you try to override the federal government then? Why didn't you ask any questions yourself about the policy that you're saying that they forced you to adopt? But no, that's the thing. They do the bare, the bare minimum, the bare minimum so they can pretend that they are unbiased and they're trying to bring you objective information. OK, now back to the, the Boltons. So I just want you to remember, that, though, that the people that run, you know, the fact that that Clapper was the director of national intelligence for a long time and was in the intel community for a long time. I mean, I look, I used to be in the CIA, as you all know, and I was deeply unimpressed with CIA leadership as a general rule. Deeply unimpressed. I remember having to answer to people that I'm like, I would not hire this guy to be, you know, the, the night janitor at a petting zoo, but he's in charge of a, like a substantial, a substantial office, a substantial uh, part of a major CIA effort. I mean, that would actually happen. You know, that would that was something that I did come across. Now, that's not everybody. There were some good people and some smart people, but there were a lot of a lot of dumbasses in the CIA. I'm just going to tell you, particularly in the intelligence community overall. I'm looking at you, DIA. That's right. So you need to know that you need to remember that, because I think that we are we have been led to believe by the the echelon that is in power by the elites in this country that just because you've had a job like DNA, DNI, just because you've had a job like CIA director Brennan Clapper, you know, you're a really trustworthy, worthwhile person. You should be on the boards of major companies. You know, you're really great. No, a lot of times you're just a middling, unimpressive bureaucrat who is in the right place at the right time. And people try to try to push back on you with, oh, well, look at my title. You know, John Bolton would be a perfect example of that, taking this back to the Bolton book. Bolton could say to you, well, you know, you haven't been national security advisor. I have. You know, you didn't have the clearances I did. No, no, no. Yeah, Bolton's, Bolton is a, is a jerk. He's a jerk. And his decisions and the way that he has pushed for just more and more military intervention and more troops in more harm's way. And why do we accept that he knows what the heck he's talking about? Where's his record? Where's his track record of success? There, there is none. His success in his mind is merely to continue to get senior government jobs to be a guy who still manages to convince people in power that he should have a lot of authority and sway in the government just because. And now and so when you think about all that, when that backstory is in place, the decision that he may have made here to publish classified information, he must he must be punished or else no one who publishes classified who signed who signed their contract who has an agreement with the government and who swore an oath to this country. No one can be punished. No one. I mean, I know people who have been who have been uh, hounded by the internal government authorities to no end. I know people who have been uh, threatened with ruination for the most minor 
perception of an infraction of classified protocols, minor things, and they will try to crush you. They will try to ruin you. Bolton is going to get away with this. I certainly hope not. But he, here's what he says, because Pompeo, who uh, doesn't back down from anybody, and I'm glad to see it. Pompeo is calling Bolton out. So Bolton has decided to speak out against against him in turn. And here is what Bolton offers up. Play clip five. You've been called a liar. Uh, the Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said this morning that you were left out of meetings because he was leaking or he would twist things or he lied. Yeah. Well, uh, Mike and I obviously have a substantial disagreement here because I think his department was the ace of aces in the government for leaking things. Uh, his, uh, he, he has made a decision, which is certainly his to make, to tie his political future to Donald Trump. I think that's what he continues to do. I feel sorry for him for doing that, but obviously I'm not going to change his mind. Was Secretary Pompeo one of those yes men that you described in the book? In, in some cases he was, and I didn't understand why. I didn't understand why, uh, knowing that uh, he disagreed with some of the things the president wanted, he didn't try to work to persuade him. Look, these decisions are ultimately the president's. We all understand that. But at some point, uh, and I came to that point, and others did as well, when you can't in good conscience carry out the decisions, then it's time to resign. Bolton was pushed out because he was a maniac that wanted to keep pushing for war everywhere. And that he is calling out Pompeo here, I think, I think is very interesting because ultimately all of Bolton's position here really rests upon the very clear belief that he has that he's just smarter than everybody. And that hubris that you see in government, you can go back even to the, some of the, uh, you know, the, the, this, this, the, Studies that have been done about uh, Vietnam and, you know, the, all the all the smartest, you know, all the best men, all the smartest men agree on this policy in Vietnam and all this stuff. Uh, this is this is a cardinal sin for powerful, uh, powerful government officials that they really think they know everything. Oh, Obama was guilty of this for sure. Thought that he was smarter. He said things like, I'm, I know more about, you know, agricultural policy than my agricultural policy advisor. Right. I mean, you know, he, he would say this kind of stuff. You know, I know more about commerce than my commerce advisor. I know more about, you know, name something random. I don't know. Education policy than my education advisor. That was his belief. He's not alone. A lot of politicians and a lot of people in very senior levels of the government seem to also believe this. And Bolton, certainly. Does Bolton ever admit that he's wrong? Friends of mine who have read the Bolton memoir, and I, I will have to read it now, of course, have been saying that one of the things that sticks out about it the most is how he always has the answer. There's no reflection that he has about, you know, maybe I was wrong on this, or, or maybe the American people wanted a different policy trajectory. Do you feel worse off because we're not trying to, well, at least not the way we were, we're not engaged in the primary you know, national effort of the federal government is trying to remake countries in the Mideast and South Asia. Do you, do you feel like your life is worse off because of that? I'm going to go out on a limb and say no. And I know there are a lot of veterans, current uh, members of the active military and also veterans who listen to this show. I don't think any of you feel like we're all worse off because we don't have 100,000 troops you know, marching around, uh, make, trying to keep the peace everywhere from Mosul to Bakuba to Baghdad to Talafur to, you know, you name it. And the same thing in Afghanistan, you know, Kabul and Jalalabad and, 
uh, Kandahar, you know, I, I don't think we all feel like, oh, no, what's going to happen now? We're not having Americans that are rebuilding countries for people who should be building them themselves. That's right. That's what should be happening in foreign countries. It should not be an American mission. Bolton doesn't believe that. Bolton's like, nah, drop more bombs, send in more troops. We got more where that came from. And that has always come across from his attitude, and it's appalling. He is not above the law, even though he thinks he's smarter than everybody else, and he's not. He's not above the law, and uh, they should come down very hard on him, assuming that he has transgressed and broken the law here. I mean, he certainly transgressed on the question of honor. It is a dishonorable thing to do to have been a national security advisor for a president and then come out and do this and get your big advance and everything else. You know, I hope that no future government ever is stupid enough to want Bolton's advice or counsel. I hope that Fox News doesn't put Bolton back on TV and make him a contributor to all this stuff. I hope. We'll see. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. So I think we're doing really well. The jobs are back. We were doing unbelievably well until the pandemic, the virus came over from China. And that really, we had to close our country. We saved millions of lives by doing it, as you know, millions and millions of lives. And now we're putting our country back and it's getting, it's going very quickly. The jobs are up to a level that nobody's ever seen before. Two weeks ago, we had a jobs number, the best in history, the best that we've ever had. Uh, we had a retail sales number last week that was un unbelievable. It's coming back very fast, coming back a lot faster than anybody thought possible. And I think you're going to see something very special. So we built the strongest economy in history once. Then we had to close it in order to save potentially millions of lives. We did it, did a great job with it. The people did a great job with it. Now we're rebuilding the economy. The third quarter will be really great, which is coming up. The third quarter is going to be very, very good. Next year is going to be one of the best years we've ever had. We definitely need some optimism right now. I think the president is uh, trying to start that narrative now. And, and there, there are events to point to. There are numbers to point to that certainly support his perspective on this. But here's where it is right now. I mean, I'm seeing these polls that say that Biden has a 14 point national lead. Now, what really matters is the battleground states and not just national polling. But it, Trump is losing right now, folks. I, I say that to you because I speak the truth as I see it here on the show all the time. Trump is losing right now. He is losing in a in a general you know, opinion sense and, and with his lack of action on this issue right now of the protests and the mobs and everything. And the polls are showing that. Uh, so we need to start looking to how we turn this around. We need a narrative of the conservative resurgence. We need a narrative of Trump 2.0 that is compelling and that gets the storyline away from the Make America Miserable Again campaign of the Democrats, which so far has been working okay it has been a thing that has worked for them and that then brings me to these stories we're seeing about look i i still we cannot shut down again no national shutdown but texas has a surge in cases uh icu uh, use is up there for covid patients there are some other states where there's been an increase in cases that is not attributable just in a rise in testing. This is concerning. 
And you got to remember, they were willing to play political games when the numbers were going, were getting better all the time. Now the numbers actually are getting a little worse in a few states. Nationwide, they're better, but in a few states, they're getting worse. Uh, this is going to be a weapon against Trump's reelection and a, and a potent one. So we need to start really looking at how the numbers are trending and what's being done. I mean, Governor Abbott is even a little uh, clearly alarmed about what's going on in Texas. It does not it does not make sense. Why would there be such a lag after reopening these places? Uh, why are some, you know, and also do masks even really make that much of a difference? Because in Europe, they've had reopens, no resurgence and very minimal mask usage in some countries. Well, why are some European countries not having a resurgence after the reopen, after schools have reopened? And only some states here, we have to really identify these causes. I do not have all the answers on this. I wish I did. No one does right now. We got to look for them, though, because all of the, the, the truth of any spikes in the COVID, ca- and COVID cases and, and, and the pandemic in general is going to be hidden behind a lot of political posturing and Democrat weaponization. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's that time. I feel like it happens pretty much every every Wednesday. I didn't even realize that that's the way it is. But we got our buddy David Harsanyi back in the mix here. He is a senior writer at National Review, and he is going to tell us a lot of things about many things. Mr. Harsanyi, good to have you back. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I, I have to say, you know, you <laughs> you have worked in media for a while and you've worked in some some newsrooms where I think there were there were some liberals, I can assume. And, and there's so much I, I want to ask you about. But one thing is they once again weren't able to ask the most basic questions about the Bubba Wallace situation. Like, where is the photo of this alleged noose? And I just do, do you think that it's because they're at the point where they're terrified to do their job as journalists because asking questions can be viewed as wrong think? Or are there just a lot of really dumb liberal journalists? <laughs> I think that's begging the question. I, uh, I would say that there's a little bit of a lot of things going on. Um, I think that there's people are terrified to question the veracity of, you know, a racial incident because if it if it turns out to be true they'll they'll look like they didn't believe it etc but it, you know to some extent or even a, a bigger extent it's people who just assume that, that that there are tons of racists in this country who are you know putting nooses all over the place and that you know that, that there's this white you know it's paranoia about white supremacy and of course not saying that there's no racists here but i think that the race obsession has gone a little bit nuts. So I think that the media acts in a way, not just the media, I think NASCAR itself and others, uh, are, are too scared to question these sorts of things or show healthy skepticism because they uh, they either A, want it to be true, or B, are just terrified of being wrong. And I have to say, I was on Twitter, and when I first read about this, I was tempted to, to tweet out, you know, how long before we learn this is a hoax. It doesn't, it didn't sound like something that would it didn't sound real. I mean, I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but it, but I, I thought there was a pretty high probability of it not being of being a, a hoax. And it, it you know, but I was a little nervous to, to say so myself. So 
um, I, you can right. see. Well, can, how I, can I say why, David? Because because I had the same. You know, earlier in the show, you didn't you didn't hear this, but I said to the audience because people reach out and they say, "Buck," because I was somebody who was like, "Where's the photo, guys? Where's the photo? I want to see the photo." I mean, everyone knew that this was. Um, and, and but that's a legitimate question to ask. I mean, where's the evidence? How about some evidence? Um, but the only reason that I, I think that it, it would be somewhat of a risk is it's not that I think a you know white nationalist neo-Nazi, a true racist. And I do think it's interesting that that conservatives always feel the need to say, I'm not saying there's no racists. Yeah, I've never heard anyone say that. <laughs> like that's I've, I've actually never heard a human being on any side of the political aisle say there's no such thing as racism or I'm not saying there's racism. And David, I'm not I'm not pointing this out because you said it. I say it. We all have to say this all the time, which is. I think in itself interesting because it's like it's like saying there's no such thing as immoral people or bad people. Well, yeah, nobody would say that. Right. That's crazy. But in this instance, the possibility, I think, was there for someone to have put a noose there who is a friend to the cause, so to speak, of the left to then say, look at how terrible this is. You know what I mean? I mean, essentially a false flag operation, which many cases of hoaxes like this that's what's actually happened whereas here it's just it was never really a noose well i, I would i just want to quickly say yeah i mean i i could see that happening but also you know it could it could be real there are stupid people out there we all know that and yeah we do i am always you know doing the throat clearing about racism uh, because we've been browbeat by it and also because you know it is out there and it's worth talking about and that's what the conversation's about but yeah i mean um my, my problem with all this, though, is that you see people afterwards saying, hey, you know, there's really nothing wrong with how we covered it because it, it turned out OK. There is no et cetera. There is no, you know, you know, there, there was no news, et cetera. But the problem there is that you that they were rooting for it to happen, in my mind, because they want to show how bad America is. And we just move on to the next thing as if this poor reporting never happened and then obviously the driver doubles down on it afterwards and so do some journalists and that makes it me think even more that people are rooting for it now david there's there's also these and you're right and that's that's another thing too if this was the i mean statistically these noose hate crimes that you know there are hate crimes and david uh, i know you're familiar with with your writing and your twitter from there are a lot of hate crimes against the Jewish community. There are, you know, there are a lot of hate crimes that happen that, that don't get the degree of attention that the media gives to certain incidents. And they're real hate crimes, which I always think is, you know, hate crimes that are happening to people that aren't part of the Democrat narrative quite the same way. So they get much less of a focus. And then they ha- you have these hoax hate crimes. But yes, to your point, it, it is certainly possible that this could have happened with exactly the intent the media said. But that still doesn't answer, well, why wouldn't they ask the basic question so we could prove if that was the case? Um, but but I, I, I also now have this, uh, this sense that the statue toppling has gotten so, so, so switching gears to that for a moment, the statue toppling that's going on is so out of control Either going after Lincoln statues now, they're going after a statue that was dedicated by Frederick Douglass, for which the funds initially to build came from freed slaves. They want to destroy that statue now. Is there any point at which there is more criticism of this movement from within Democrat journo circles, or is it just everything is everything is uh, fair game on this? Oh, no, no, they won't be because they downplay this stuff all the time. I saw a CNN reporter, you know, put a, you know, put a little wink 
emoji at you know talking uh, at make mocking Republicans for constantly talking about this as if it's a big deal. This is this is how they function. You know, if there if 200 Nazis show up somewhere, you know, which is rare that they can actually get 200 people together in this country, it becomes a national story. We have to have a national conversation about hate, etc. But when you have uh, Antifa roaming around the country, tearing down statues of great Americans like Lincoln and others, uh, not just Confederates. They ignore that that other part is happening, and they try to downplay the entire the looting, the rioting, the statue toppling, because it doesn't work with their narrative of what's going on. And that's uh, that's what's been happening in the media. And there's, it's getting frustrating, increasingly frustrating, because there's little you can do about it. And uh, I think most American people probably aren't aware of how many of these statues are being toppled that are, are not, you know, Confederates. I think they think it's all about Confederate soldiers. And toppling those, it's not okay either in my mind. I mean, if you want to take down a statue, go to the city council, et cetera. But, you know, it's much worse than that, as you mentioned. Yeah, and I just, I feel like there's, there's no word from, and the artistic community has been overrun by the left for a very long time. But some of these, some of these objects that are being destroyed have incredible value as as works of art. I mean, put aside just the the symbolism and the and the historical value of them, and there's no outrage. I mean, you know, I, I saw the, this uh, this you know Sean King guy was saying, and now everyone's saying, oh, it's just Sean King. Okay, well, he is one of the most well known Black Lives Matter protester, organizer, activist guys out there, and he's saying that, you know, Jesus statues that sh- uh, show Jesus as a you know, white European is part of white supremacy. There's some other people that, that jumped in on this uh, idea, too. Torre, who used to have a show at MSNBC, uh, uh, magnified this idea. And I just I wonder, you know, when do they have to come to grips with the fact that this does exist within the movement? I mean, I think that there are people who would make the case that some of the greatest works of art in in certainly the, the Western canon are, are racist. I mean, you know, the Sistine Chapel depictions of, of Jesus in artwork that is truly priceless have to be considered racist now. Listen, I, I think a lot of these people are dimwits, and that is more offensive to <laughs> me than, that's than the actual. <laughs> that's, that's the real answer, actually. Just, I'm sorry, David. Go ahead. It's true. Though. I mean, I'm, I'm offended. I'm more offended by the historical illiteracy than anything else, right? I mean, uh, it, and it wasn't just Sean King. I mean, it was Nicholas Kristof at the New York Times, two million followers there. There's a huge voice saying that, uh, you know, Jesus was a man of color and, you know, authoritarians essentially framing the story of Jesus as a, as a, as a race, you know, as a race crime, which, you know, is just incredibly uh, absurd. And I actually don't think he believes that that's true, but they try to transpose their grievances today onto history and they give history no context. And that's why you know, you can tear down a Washington statue because there's no context to it. He's a slave owner. They, they looked at a Wikipedia page. They F searched slaves. They found slaves. They take down the statue, right? So I think people are uneducated and stupid and, and they want to recreate history in their own image. Yesterday, um, uh, AOC, Alexandria, AOC is just so much easier. So said that uh, Latinos are black and she gave some, you know, she followed it with some historical gibberish. And people take her seriously when they should be laughing at this stuff. It is a disaster how uneducated people are on history and why, and, and obviously it matters uh, now, you know, with what we see going on. I'm not a huge statue fan in general. I, I don't think it's, uh, it, it really upholds Republican virtues of America, but 
Um, people want to steer, tear them down, want to tear history down. It's not really about the work of art or the statue. They hate history. They hate American history, and they hate uh, the founding far more, I think, than sometimes I think than the Confederacy, because of the, because to them, uh, you know, the, the Confederates are bad, but the real evil is the 1619 Project, or the real evil is the founding, and I think that's their ultimate goal. Well, David, always appreciate you joining us to share your thoughts on these things. What are you writing about this week over at National Review? Working on a magazine piece that should be interesting, but uh, it's kind of embargoed about Nixon and Trump. And uh, I, uh, I don't know. I'm going to see what else annoys me today and write about it. There's a, there's, it seems to me that there's always at least five things going on that make me just so mad that I want to smash my computer. So. That's why we, we bring you here, David, so you could you could drop the knowledge bombs and get some of that get some of that angst out. We appreciate it. David Arsani, everybody, in National Review. Thanks, David. Thank you. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show Podcast. We got a buddy of ours joining from the Daily Caller, where he does most excellent work, and he has been covering the insane protest down in D.C., the Black House Autonomous Zone effort, the pulling down of statues or attempts to pull down statues. And he's the guy who got that audio, uh, some of the audio of these protesters just making complete fools of themselves. So we want to ask him about what he's seeing. Henry Rogers with us now. Henry, my man, how you doing? Hey, Bob, thanks for having me, man. Good to see you. You too. So, you know, I know most people that are going to hear this can only hear it. Some people watching the first will be able to see it. But I got to say, the mustache suits you, man. The mustache is a good move. I don't know. I don't know if you're a cop from the 70s or an airline pilot, but you're one or the other. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate it. You're uh, one of the few who have complimented it. So uh, I I will keep that in mind. I'm I'm a fan. So tell me this, man. How are things going down there in D.C.? What's the latest? So um, I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, I'm sure you have as you follow the news closely. Uh, So a group of protesters have essentially taken over uh, this one block area, which Mayor Bowser has uh, claimed as the Black Lives Matter Plaza. Um, The protesters have now been calling it the Washington the, the Black House Autonomous Zone here in Washington, D.C. So this is all a block away from the White House. Um, yesterday, I was actually at the White House, and I decided to stop by for a quick, you know, walk by of these protests that have been going on. And it was really stunning to see what was going on in broad daylight. Uh, you, you would think things were peaceful. You would think things were calm. But it's quite the opposite of what I saw. Um, and I think in the videos that I, I've posted on my Twitter and things like that, you can see, uh, you know, first off, Andrea Mitchell and a, a black congresswoman were attacked in the middle of the street uh, by a what appeared to be transgender protester um, who just was started charging at them. Well, I saw this we're, uh, wearing in- wearing lingerie. Right. And just lingerie. Right. right. So that was just, you know, about five minutes into me being there. And I thought maybe I should stick around to see. Uh, what else breaks loose here? And what have you been hearing from the protesters? Uh, I, I mean, obviously, you can record what they're saying, why they're there. You know, it, how many of them are even talking about George Floyd? And also, are you able to ask them questions directly or do they know Daily Caller is the enemy? Well, you know, it takes a, while, a little while for me to blow my cover, uh, probably about an hour. So I had some time. 
but, you know, I was asking these people questions and I was getting in their faces and asking them about, you know, this just because I saw so much odd things going on. For example, there was this one white girl who continued, continued to shout in the faces of these black police officers, screaming vulgarities at them, very obscene things. Um, this white, very privileged girl in her little Lululemon joggers outfit, you know, just screaming at these black police officers about how black lives matter and how they're racist and how and how they don't get it. So I in my videos, what I did was I asked them and I asked these people who were screaming at the black cops and said, do you realize you're white and you are yelling at a black person at a Black Lives Matter rally? Does that does that like does that make sense to you? And you can see that a lot of them were a little perplexed by the question uh, and then, you know, try to kind of def defend themselves, uh, saying that they're, they're trying to learn about racism. And this is the best way that they can learn how they suffered is by shouting at other black officers. So the whole thing was is honestly uh, very disgraceful and very discouraging to see, um, considering it's, it's, you know, George Floyd has been buried and his family has been calling for peace. So this is not very peaceful. Did you see a lot of George Floyd signs and chants or has it just turned into a general left wing? I did not hear George Floyd's voice once. Name. I did not hear George Floyd's voice once yesterday. His name. His name. I did not hear his name once yesterday. That's uh, I think that's really indicative of, of what's happening with these protest movements across the country. What's the expectation in Washington, D.C.? Is, is Mayor Bowser going to just allow this to continue? And is there any way that Trump, he said he's going to start, uh, and we've only got about a minute, but he said he's going to start enforcing the law against vandalism. Are, are we seeing that happening? Well, so the National Guard will be in D.C. tonight. Uh, I know that uh, is a new a new revelation here. I think the president has obviously been watching what's been going down just outside of the White House, and he's probably sick of it, as we saw with the last uh, go around of these protests. So I, I I do think that this will change. I don't think it will change from Mayor Bowser's standpoint. Again, defund the police is still painted on the cement. Not a, not a thing has been removed. Uh, there's been no plans for that to be removed. So I, I, I don't see her acting quickly on this anytime soon. Henry Rogers, everybody. He is the man down on the scene. Henry, get us more of this first person stuff. Come back and tell us how it's going on. And he's over at the Daily Caller. Follow him on social media. Henry, thanks so much, man. Thanks, Buck. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, everybody, roll call time. And just remember, if you want to leave a voicemail, which I think people find uh, a fun addition to the Freedom Hunt, you can call in on 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Please keep the voicemail to under a minute. We've expanded it under 60 seconds, okay? That's the only, after 60 seconds, producer Mark or producer Brandon this week will be hitting the delete button, most likely, unless you're telling an amazing story and... Then, then I leave that to their discretion. But nonetheless, uh, keep it under 60 seconds. Under 30 seconds, even better if you can. Or, well, 30 seconds, let's say, is the sweet spot. So with that, if you want to send in your thoughts, which we obviously want to keep happening every day, facebook.com slash bucksexton or teambuck at iheartmedia.com. Also, bucksexton.com for news updates throughout the day and more and more stuff coming up on bucksexton.com. Glennette. 
writes in first. Buck, I have been rereading 1984. Wow. Now in our country, it is happening, which is very scary. Big Brother's slogan, which is war is peace, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength, could be the slogan of the Democrats of today. Even Winston's job, which is to destroy and rewrite history, seems like a page out of today's current events. This is evident in the destruction of monuments, banning of certain books, as well as the rewriting of history, such as the 1619 Project. The manipulation and propaganda that is going on is staggering. Maybe everyone should reread 1984 as well as Animal Farm, as you have suggested on your show, to get a clearer picture of where our country is currently headed. I know most people do not have any clue as to where this path leads. 1984 shows it will be a stark reality. Do you have any thoughts on how to expose the Democrats' endgame for others to see? Shields High. Well, Glenette, a most excellent uh, message here. Thank you so much for sending in for roll call. You know, 1984 is one of the few books that I can tell you I have reread three times over the course of my life. Uh, Animal Farm, I think I've reread three, uh, re, uh, reread three times as well. And I will tell you, each time you go back, you will see more. Each time you read it, you will pick up things that you might have missed or forgotten from the first time. It's very worth it. And they're not... It's not like uh, saddling up to read the Gulag Archipelago by Solzhenitsyn, which I also recommend very much to you. But that's a big investment of time. That's going to take you a long time to get through. So uh, I'm, I'm very pleased that you're finding a lot of worthwhile insight from Orwell's 1984. Orwell, remember, was a pen name. George Orwell, his real name was Eric Blair. Uh, so it's, it's absolutely eye-opening how much was seen then by Orwell and is being replayed in different ways right now. As for how to expose the Democrats' endgame, hmm, how do I expose the Democrats' endgame? I try to do that every day on the show. Uh, It's increasingly clear what their endgame is, socialism, authoritarianism, uh, a, a radical Marxist redo of American society. In every sense and and the rewriting of our history and uh, creating a what what Scalia referred to as racial entitlements, uh, things like uh, reparations and affirmative action. Uh, Supreme Court Justice Scalia referred to it as the racial entitlement state uh, or racial entitlement uh, system and enshrining that into into permanent law. I mean, these are things that are going This is what the end state actually is of the left wing Democrat movement. And it's a question of whether we can mount some kind of a response. You know, last night I went on a little bit of a Twitter tear and and I'm also on Parler now, Buck Sexton on Parler, because I I do think that they're just going to start Twitter. What's going to happen is the as we've been discussing, they've uh, censored Donald Trump for saying things that are completely fine. And there's a clear left wing bias and they don't care what it's going to do to the perception of that company, really, the people that run it. What, ma- what matters to them most is the wokeness. What matters to you if you're a senior VP of you know, strategic communications or whatever at, at Twitter or at Facebook or any of these companies is do all of your liberal friends, because all of your friends are liberals, uh, who live in the San Francisco Bay Area, do they think that you work for a company that is woke or not? 
or are you doing your part for wokeness, which is just left wing mob political correctness? That's what wokeness is. Uh, that matters more to these senior executives than whatever the actual future of the company is going to be once they start doing this, because there's already this flight to parlor that is happening. Parlor's been around for a while. It's an alternative to Twitter. Uh, you haven't really seen a social media giant get taken down yet by a competitor because of conservative politics. That has not really happened. I mean, people would say, oh, MySpace. And he said, no, but that was that was from within the digital the digital uh, left wing sphere. There those were not conservative political challenges by any stretch. And also this thing, Friendster, MySpace. These were the original social media platforms before Facebook came along. I think that what you're going to see on Twitter is once it becomes clear, not only that they do uh, have a bias against conservatives, but that big name conservatives are going to other platforms and freely sharing their thoughts without fear of being banned. Uh, then Twitter's they're not going to try to turn around. They're just going to say, fine, we'll just we'll just be a place where you can hear Justin Bieber's latest thoughts or whatever. Right. I mean, they don't you know, you can just have MSNBC, The New York Times and then a lot of really stupid celebrities and musicians waxing philosophical about life and politics. And that's what Twitter will become. But that's still a very large audience. Twitter is overwhelmingly a liberal uh, liberal audience still. And it's I think less than five percent of the American population is really active on Twitter on a, on a regular basis. So it's a very small subset of the U.S. population. Anyway, anyway just using that as an example. Uh, but they're they're going to the, the purge is going to happen. I mean, they're going to try to do this in a subtle way. It's going to be like how people go grand, uh, how people go bankrupt gradually. Then suddenly the purge of conservatives off the social media platforms is going to start. You're going to see a little more and a little more. And then, and then eventually it's going to be like, all right, we're just we're just kicking off people that won't, you know, have the raised fist and hashtag BLM in, in their bio. That's that's where all of this is heading, I think. Jared Buck, can the mayors and governors of blue states that did nothing to protect their states and cities be arrested and charged with treason? Jared, the answer is no. One of the great protections that all these Democrats have, whether we're talking about the deep state or any number of other things, one of the great protections for them is that if you're a bureaucrat or elected official, stupidity is always a defense of some sort, right? I was just too incompetent. I was too dumb to know any better. You see that with the deep state actions of the FBI against Trump and Trump associates. Oh, yeah, we just believe this dossier put together by Christopher Steele, even though it was absurd. And any anybody who's not a moron should have known. Well, we're just morons. We believed it. Sorry. FBI is really dumb. That's it. That's all they have to do to evade accountability. And that is what they are doing so there will there will not be any uh charge of treason against these individuals and you know i think that that's while they're while they're betraying in a sense they're uh, the people that are counting on them to protect them and to enforce the law as a legal matter treason is not even part of the discussion bethany but jared thank you for writing in Bethany, if voters elect Joe Biden, will the chaos stop the anarchy, riots, lawlessness, etc.? If the Democratic Party is in office, doesn't it seem to be an out of control train no matter what? Well, I'll tell you, you know, this this brings me back to uh, what happened last night. 
where you did have people, you did have uh, a at least in one instance or in a few instances, uh, liberals even saying this has gone too far. I mean, Chris Hayes, who's a a big lib over at MSNBC, is a host at MSNBC, and he's very woke, very he, he really because he sort of looks and sounds like what the left considers an intellectual. I don't mean sounds like because he says smart things. I mean, he just he seems like someone who is ha ha ha. I'm just a nerd, but like a cool, woke hipster nerd. Uh, he tweeted out. So the Madison crowd last night, this is about what happened in Madison, Wisconsin, quote, knocked over the statue of an abolitionist immigrant who died fighting for the union, a statue commemorating women's suffrage and beat up a 60 year old state senator and left him lying on the ground. Uh, Do any liberals want to try to defend any of that? A statue about women's suffrage? A guy who was an abolitionist who died fighting to end slavery. You're going to topple that statue and beat up a state senator. Assaulted. Hey, here, here you go. Wisconsin state senator. I'll give you the guy's name. Um, you had state senator Tim Carpenter. He was heading to the state capitol, according to the Washington Post, to work late Tuesday. He stopped to snap a photo of the protesters. He said, quote, I don't know what happened. All I did was stop and take a picture. And the next thing I'm getting five or six punches and getting kicked in the head. Carpenter said he may have a concussion and a fractured nose, bruised eye, sore ribs and back. He said, this has got to stop before someone gets killed. Libs are not going to stop. They're not going to stop it because they're, they're cowards. They have no moral code or core. The left is morally rotten. Yeah, say it. The Democrat Party is morally rotten to its core. It is a socialist Marxist movement bent on nothing other than the acquisition of power and the imposition of an authoritarian rule to equalize everything in ways that will never occur and that will be deeply destructive when they try to do it. You know, like what the Soviet Union did. Not a good idea. Not not a good move. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right. Next up in our roll call action, we have Sarah. Here we go. Oh, wait, Um, Bethany, I I didn't even really give you the full answer. I just realized this as we went into a a pause there. Um, it, It will stop for a while if Biden wins the election, but they'll always be because the mob is a part of the Democrat Party. This is the wing. This is the action arm of the Democrat Party today in America. So they'll always be there for when they can't get their way through normal politics and through the normal means of our republic and our our system of government. They'll be there to coerce, to threaten, to destroy. So the they are the shock troops of the Democrat Party. That's what I've been saying all along. Tucker said it last night on his show, and you know I've been saying it here on this show for weeks. Uh, Sarah, I understand that vaccines have their use, and I am not anti-vax. Uh-oh. However, I have heard lots of hype about a vaccine for COVID-19 that it should be mandatory. My question is, why would we need, as in force people to receive, a vaccine for a sickness of which there is a 99% recovery rate 
This is not a free choice in my book. Never mind that we aren't allowing time for testing. I am not excited. Sarah, I haven't seen where it is said that it would be mandatory. I haven't seen that. So I have to look at what that is that at the state level. Would that be a federal mandate? Um, I will say that this disease, if there is a vaccine that is safe and effective, the disease is very dangerous to people who are who are seniors. It is very dangerous if you're a senior to get this. And so there will be um, there will be a lot of pressure. Now, how effective is the vaccine? Is it lifetime immunity for the people who take it? But there's a lot that we have to look at and see here. Um, but in general, I'll say that there's there seems to be a lot of precedent, a lot of legal precedent for restricting certain freedoms and rights. If you don't get a vaccine, like you can't go to public school, you've got to have a vaccination record. Um, so th- there's going to be a tension here. But let me look, Sarah, more into what's being suggested, and then I'll have a better, more specific answer for you. Ted writes, hey, guys, it's been tough lately for anyone paying attention. Hate to say it, but it may be too late. The election will not matter because if Trump wins, chaos will be the new norm. If he loses, we will live in a communist society. This has absolutely nothing to do with racism and has everything to do with communism. We are a good, peaceful society, but don't know how to fight these absurdities that they are pushing the silent majority in a very dark corner with. Be safe, guys, and shields high. Well, Ted, I don't think you're wrong about the danger that we face right now as a country. I do think that there's a little bit more room for optimism. So that's a good thing. I think we're in a little bit of a better place than you're currently thinking we are. Um, Maybe just because I like to be optimistic and I can't even really back this up with facts. But we need to learn as a movement. I mean, conservatism needs to have we need to have conservatism um, in control of platforms. We need to have conservative culture. We need to have corporations and and uh, very powerful entities in the business world that will stand that will stand for conservative values that are willing to be boycott proof. You know, we need those things. We need to set that. We need, that needs to become a part of this movement. Just having think tanks uh, churning out stuff and a couple of pretty small scale publications, one cable news channel and, you know, talk radio, which, as we know, talk radio is also coming under a lot of pressure from the digital. I mean, I mean the actual, you know, AM radio band is coming under a lot of pressure from uh, the digital world that we all live in now. It's not enough to just have good ideas. We have to control some of the platforms and control some of the distribution mechanisms and also have, you know, conservative culture. Here, here's an example of what I mean. If I have a screenplay for what I think is a great movie, I, I should know that there is a, a place I can go to get it made or to get a show made, let's say, where it'll be a Netflix, not that it has to be openly conservative, but that they will say, look, we will look at conservatives and conservative ideas without shutting it down. That's all. We, we need that. We don't have that right now. And we need to stop pretending that, the, that what's happening in the market is fair or even market-based. It is ideological. It is ideological. Sam writes, Buck, thank you so much for spreading the truth to America. My dad recently introduced me to your show, and I love it. And to Bruce and Mark, I say, keep on being hilarious and giving Buck a hard time. Love you all so much. Everybody, thank you so much. Sam, thank you uh, for, pass, or for having the Buck pass to you. I love hearing that. 
Hope you enjoyed the show today. Do me that favor, pass the buck. Get one person to start listening to the podcast. That's my that's my early Christmas and birthday present. Uh, we will be back tomorrow, same time, same place. Shields high.